0: there is a reading of the law every year. They would go to Exodus chapter 20 and they would read the Ten Commandments. However, this chapter is the background for the giving of these Ten Commandments and it's very, very important to understand. One thing I want to help us this morning is to start reading our Bibles a little bit more carefully. I was to ask you, how many times has Moses gone up the Mount Sinai? How many times did Moses go up Mount Sinai? Most people would say he went up once, and how long was he there? He was up there 40 days and 40 nights. And then there was some other people who would say, well, actually, he went up there twice because the tables were broke when he came down, and, and he had to go back up again and, and get them again. So the, some people would say twice. Uh, In this chapter, Exodus chapter 19, I have Moses going up the mountain and down the mountain three times. Just quickly before I come up here, I looked on my phone and I said, how many times did Moses go up the mountains? And the the internet told me eight times. And they said there was four times in this chapter. So I guess I wasn't reading as carefully as I thought I was. But maybe somebody miscalculated also. But I think it's important that we start to read our Bibles. Another thing I want to encourage you with is uh, sometimes you you do video recording and audio recording and so on, and you think it's really a a waste of your time. Uh, Over on PEI, there was a man who went on, on, uh, on the Internet And he found a message of me preaching here a couple of years ago. So that was very encouraging. Here's somebody from PEI that is turning into your website here. So it's always encouraging. You don't know who's actually hearing. If I hadn't told you that, you wouldn't have known that this uh, gentleman listened to a message. So so, uh, just like we go down in the open air, uh, John is a big open air man. I like to do open air preaching on PEI and uh i've been doing that and covering all these little tiny nicks and crannies in, in the province and trying to get out into the boonies where people don't very often hear the word of god so it's very important uh, and there's people hear the word of god so thank god i was preaching uh, at the uh what do you call that uh, the so no they that the, the, the the Tim Hortons there on number two highway where there's a Tim Hortons and a big Irving station and so on I was preaching there and uh, there was a guy come up and I was preaching and I said, have you ever heard anything like this before? I actually heard a guy preaching up in Tignish and I said, well, that was me. So, So here's a guy that had heard me twice and, and different parts of the island and so on. Another woman, the same thing, when I met her, I just happened, if you have seen anybody preaching like this. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, as you share the word of God, the word of God is not bound. The word of God goes out. And uh, we think about uh, uh, Psalm 19, about, about the, the, the earth and the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, so we'll read this chapter together. Verses 1 to 8, Moses goes up the mountain the first time. If you were to do just a word count, uh, verse 3 says Moses went up, uh, 14 says Moses went down, verse uh, 20 says Moses went up, and 25 says Moses went down. So you can see in the chapter, there's automatically twice he's up and down. It's very clear. You have to search for the other one, or or the other two. Uh, Like I said, I'll have to go home and and do some more time on this. But we want to think about this. Verses 1 to 8, Moses goes up the first time. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, in the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, And they were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord had commanded. And the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words unto the Lord. So, so like I said, he went up in, in verse uh, 3 and then, in the end of verse 6, he goes down because it says, Moses called the elders of the people. So now he's down on, on, the, on the ground again, or in the valley. And the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then says, Moses, return the words of the people unto the Lord. So Moses is going up in the, in the end of verse 8. Okay, so the second, the second uh, uh, visit up there. And verse nine, and the Lord said unto Moses, "Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud that the people may hear, when I speak with you and believe you forever." And Moses told the words of the Lord the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, "Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes." And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and you shall set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mountain nor touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall be in hand th- there shall not be in hand touch it. But he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be a beast or man, and shall not live when the trumpet sounds long, and they shall come to the mountain. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives, And it came to pass in the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that the people that were in the camp trembled, and Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And, and Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord ascended upon it in a fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered by a voice. And then, and then verses 20 to 25, Moses goes up the third time. And the Lord come down upon Mount Sinai in the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the people said unto Moses, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. And And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, for you charged us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get down. You come up, you and Aaron with you, but let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the, to, unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon you. And Moses went down unto the people, and, the, and spoke unto them. And then chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. Uh, so like, like I mentioned, pay attention to movements in scripture. When you're reading a passage, try to follow along. If you're going through the book of Exodus, or going through the book of Numbers, look at the cities, take a map out and see where they're going from, the, from this place to this place to this place, and you'll start to learn, learn a little bit. Uh, the first 18 chapters of Exodus are looked upon as historical records. It just tells the history of Israel. It tells about when Moses, he's, he, he, he grows up in Pharaoh's uh, palace, and he's living a great life there, and, but he recognizes he's a Jew, and he sees the struggle between the Jews and the Egyptians, and he goes out and he tries to save one of them one day, and we know the story. And and he flees in he flees into the into the wilderness and then we come to that point where he he is out in the wilderness feeding a sheep and then he sees that bush that's on fire and the flames coming and he turns aside to see it and God speaks to him that's back in Acts, Exodus chapter 13 and then and then you see the plagues in the in the next 12 chapters and then you have the Passover where that lamb is slain for the firstborn of the son and then they go across the Red Sea. Uh, they go through the Red Sea. Uh, I, I just saw something cute the other day. Uh, a guy was saying, he says, uh, you know, Mexican was was a Mexican uh, was a Mexican uh, uh, comedian, and he was saying, you know, you you might not realize it, but Moses was a Mexican. He said, what do you mean? I I didn't remember reading that in the Bible. He said, well, listen, he said, what other guy could take two million people across a a river and not get caught? So he had to be Mexican. (laughs) Anyway, uh, getting getting back to the story here. Okay, He takes them across the the Red Sea, and then they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. That's, That's the story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, and then when we get to chapter 19, uh, it it starts a legislative uh, passage. And what do we mean by legislative? The laws. All the laws that have been given to Moses. You, You can't do this, you can do this, you can't do this. It talks about marriage, it talks about... You know, planting, you you can't go and and steal one of your neighbor's things. Or or if you go go and kill one of his animals. And and there's all these laws that are dictated in the the book of uh, Exodus. Marriage, stealing, civil regulations, law and order, buying, selling, ownership, property damage, and so on. And then the background to receiving the law, the, the Egyptians, they had been slaves for over 400 years. They had no rights of their own. Every part of their life was decided what time they get up, what time they go to bed, what time they would eat, because they were slaves. And, and uh, as, they were, as they were there, uh, the whole idea, when, when they were taken across the Red Sea, and they were delivered, and they were taken into this new land, and God says, listen, you are my people. I'm going to bless you, and, and your life is going to be like it's never been before. And, and people say, well, this would be great. We can do what we want. And, 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 but it deteriorated to the book of Judges where it says, every man did which was right in his own eyes. God set down certain laws. You know, there's marriage laws, for example, right? And, and if, if someone, if someone uh, for example, I have a, my wife is sitting over here, and if uh, one of these guys come along and they, and they start uh, holding her hand and go and start kissing her, well, I think I have every right to be jealous, right? And what would happen if I, uh, the, the guy doesn't pay attention? Well, I might have to put up my dukes and I might have to give him a couple, you know, and so on, you know. But, but these were laws that God put into place to protect, okay? Nobody should have your wife. Nobody should have your daughter. You give your daughter in marriage. That, that, that's a special privilege that you give your daughter in marriage. And these were laws that God put into effect so that we live peaceable, quiet lives, so that we can enjoy ourselves. You know that I, I lived in El Salvador for 10 years. When I was there, uh, people asked me if I was going to buy a gun. No, I'm not going to buy a gun. You know, when, when I lived in, in Vancouver, I told you this story the last time I was there. Uh, I worked with an insurance agent. I had a gun in the back of my head. Six months later, they broke into the office again. I had a gun in the back of my head again. When I lived in El Salvador, I had two guys with shotguns pointing at my face. But I still did not want to go out and buy a gun. Because, the Bible says, man shall not kill so I, even though I was angry with a guy having a gun at the back of my head, if I take his life, where is he going to spend eternity? He's going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And the fact that he's robbing banks and robbing insurance agencies and doing all kinds of things like that, that means he's not ready to meet God. He's an evil man. He's doing wrong things. And God will bring him into judgment. So I want, I want to come into this this passage here, it ver- the first trip up to the mountain, we have the declaration of God's purpose. You know God has a purpose for you. Do you realize that God has a purpose for you? What does the Bible say? God will have all men to be saved. And when we use that word men, it's generic. All men, all women, all boys, and all girls. He will have all men to be saved and come to repentance. So you have to repent, you have to, you have to recognize, I am wrong. Everything that God has revealed in his word, God is holy, God is just, God will punish sin. You have to recognize that that's the word of God, and you have to say, yes, Lord, you're right. And even I had these, these thoughts in the back of my mind. I figured when I was growing up, God was sitting up in heaven on his rocking chair, you know, and, and watching everybody scramble around. And then when people would die, he would get up off his rocking chair, you know, and he'd go over and he'd have a big set of scales and he'd have all your good deeds on one side and all your bad deeds on the other side. And he'd look at you and he'd say, Wayne, you got a couple more good ones and bad ones. Come on in. But that's not the way it works. Why? did Jesus Christ die on the cross. Jesus died for sinners. We heard that verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so you are condemned. You are going to spend eternity in hell and the lake of fire if you don't repent, if you don't trust Christ as your shepherd. God provided the remedy for you. Now you have a responsibility you have heard the message of the gospel, how that Christ died for your sins. He paid the price so that you can have forgiveness. So either it, right now it's in your ballpark. Either you can accept him or you can reject him. You can say, I will not have this man to reign over me. I don't want him. So when we, when we come to this uh, passage, verse 1 at least two months have passed since the Passover. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, they came the same day onto the wilderness of Sinai, and they were departed from Rephaim, and they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, this is a very interesting thing, because when, when God would look upon Moses, uh, Moses would, look, would remember back to that uh, time when he was at the mountain with with uh, back in Exodus chapter three, God remembers God. Moses remembers God's promises. He remembers God telling him, uh, Exodus chapter three twelve. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Now Moses is talking with God. There's two million people camped below, and Moses is in a relationship with God. How did Moses know that he could go up that mountain? That's quite a thing, isn't it? Because, do you remember as we were reading through, the people were told they weren't allowed even to go near the edge of the mountain, or they would be killed with a stone, or or a dart would would be cast through them. It says neither man nor animal, man nor beast, could go near that mountain. The holiness of God, that's one of the things we see. In, in uh, portrayed in this here passage that there, there is a relationship with God God is a holy God and you cannot approach God on your own terms we come to verse 3 or verse 4 it says you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians how that I bore you on eagles wings and brought you forth unto myself so that's talking about the Red Sea they went into the Red Sea the sea opened up before them, they marched through, and then halfway through, they they were coming up on dry land, and as the last person come up on dry land, then the whole ocean just poured in on top of the Egyptians, and they drowned. Verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So one of the things that we see here, when we go back to the book of Exodus, I mean the book of Genesis, when God called Abraham, here, here were the words when God called when God called Abraham, he says, I will make of you a great nation. That's Genesis 12 and 2. I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. But when you come to this portion here, he says, If you will obey my voice, if you keep my commandments, then you shall be a peculiar treasure you shall be a kingdom of priests, you shall be a holy nation. So there's a big difference between the relationship, the call of Abraham, where, where he's sending out a call, okay, listen, everything's going to be good, I'm calling you, and I'm going to make you a great people, I'm going to make you a great name, but now, all of a sudden, Israel has been chastised, they've been brought through that 400 years of suffering, now they come to the mountain of God, and God is talking to them in a real, actual way, uh, communication, and and he sends down to Moses as the mediator. He says, if they will obey my voice and keep my commandments, I will make them a peculiar treasure, a close relationship with God. I will make them a kingdom of priests. That gives them the ability to worship and to draw near to God without a mediator. You know, when I was a little boy, I went to uh, to a church and, and uh, if, you would, if you were in the audience there, there was a big altar up front and then there was a guy standing there and he was doing all these signs and he was talking in another language that none of us understood and, and then he, was, he would go through his rituals and things like that and I'm thinking this is, this is something strange about this whole relationship, you know, and then you start to read the Bible and then you find out that God says, listen, you don't need... To go through David. You don't have to bring your prayers to David, and David's going to say, "Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to live. You give me your prayers, and then I'm going to pray to God, and then God will answer you." That's not the way it works. God, God is able to hear your voice, and and uh, God encourages to do that. And then you, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And the whole idea that we are actually able to worship God ourselves. So I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about worship as, as we get further into this here chapter. Uh, and, and, then, and then they're going to be a holy nation. What does that mean? They would live clean, fruitful lives. You know, sometimes, um, you know, my wife, she'll be working and she'll come home and she'll say, oh, there's this girl that I'm working with and her life is a mess. What does she mean by that? Well, everything is upside down. You know, she's got a boyfriend or a husband and they're fighting and, and, and beating each other up and and alcohol and drugs and the, and the problems with the children and all the kinds of things that happen. And, and that's not what God wants for anybody. You know, when everybody gets married, you know, they, have, they get up there in front of the, the priest or the minister and they say their holy vows and they're going to live happily ever after in their mind. Six months later, they're into the marriage and they're fighting like cats and dogs and they're saying, where did everything go wrong? Well, everything went wrong because you did not give your life to God. You lived your own selfish life, your own selfish desires. And what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. The wages, why do you think the murder rate is so high? The wages of sin is death. You know, in the United States, mass killings, I think we're up to 45 mass killings already in the, up in the month of July. Six months into the year, 45 mass murders in the United States. There's something wrong down there. When I lived in El Salvador, you know, if you go on the statistics, they'd say uh, n- the, the Christian population is 97%. And I said, really? And they said, why are you going to El Salvador? They're all Christians there. Well, if they're all Christians, why is the murder rate the highest in the world if they're 97% Christians? Christians do not go around murdering each other, Right. So you have to examine, is it religion that they're talking about, or is it a personal relationship with God? Most of you that are here today, you will remember a time, you will remember a place, you will remember, maybe you were in a, a meeting like this, maybe you were at home, maybe you were reading your Bible, maybe you were reading a gospel tract, and you and you realize that you were lost. My wife says, my life is out of control, I want God to take care of my life. I want God to put order in my life. That was her way of expressing it. When I first heard the gospel, I said, I don't want to go to hell. I thought I, thought I was living a good life. I was enjoying my life. You know, you know. I was smoking dope and, and drinking, drinking lots and going out to dances and just having the party of my life. But when I started to hear the word of God, what I was hearing is that one day you're going to die, Wayne. And you're going to stand before God, and you're not ready. And you're going to be taken, and you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. You know what the Bible says? It says, whoever's names were not found written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. Not gently placed. I've been watching a few ladies here with little babies, newborn babies, and they're so careful with them, and they're looking after them. Here are are rotten, guilty sinners, and they're cast into the lake of fire. So so they were going to be a special people. They were going to be a submissive people. They're going to be a sanctified people. What is this idea of sanctification? We want to talk about this in the next section when Moses went up the second time. In verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. And Moses told the words unto the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and get ready to come the third day. He's not telling people to come with suits and ties. We're not suggesting that. But listen, when you approach God, it's not come as you are. When you're coming into the presence of God, you must realize you're coming into a place of dignity, a place of royalty, a place of majesty. And it's a serious thing. The Bible says it's a serious thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We, 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 I don't think we really get the urgency of this. Verse 10, he says, sanctify them today and tomorrow. So what is this idea of sanctification? The idea is being set apart. I am being set apart for God. And then it says, wash your clothes. Well, God's not saying, listen, you have to have the nicest suit in the place to go to church. That's not what he's saying. But listen, when you approach onto me, I want, you to, I want you to realize that, that, that I'm just not one of the Joe Boys. I, I, I am majestic, I am holy, I am pure. You know what the Bible says? Not one sin will enter into heaven. You know, back in my day, everybody wanted the white shag carpet, you know? And and you know, the thicker the better, you know. And then you go to somebody's house, and what's the first thing the ladies would tell you? Take off your shoes. Why take off your shoes? You're coming into my house on the white carpet. Well, if you would take off your shoes because this is your friend, how much more should we honor the presence of God when we come into God's presence? And his, his city, his celestial city is holy. And then he, and then he says, be ready. Why? Because the Lord will come down. I want to ask you a question. Are you ready if the Lord should come back tonight? The Lord was coming down. You remember we hear the story about the ten wise virgins and the ten foolish virgins? They had oil, they were ready when the bridegroom came. Will you be ready if the Lord comes tonight? And then he, in verse 12, <coughs> he says, Set bounds. If anyone comes near the mount, and they're going to be put to death. And, and then I want to come to verse 13, and I want to think about this subject of worship. There shall not be a hand, touch it, nor shall he surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, and it shall not live, and the trumpet sounds long, They shall come to the mount, and Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes, and he told them, be ready against the third day, and do not come at your wives, or do not have sexual relationships with your wives. In verse 16, I want to concentrate on this part here. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that there were thunderings, and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that the people that were in the camp trembled. You know, it's interesting, the writer of the Hebrews, he takes up this here verse and he says, So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. What do you think worship is all about? You know, when we, when we speak Spanish, we use two different words. We use the word adoration, uh, adoracion, and alabanza. There's two different words. So I want to think about those words in praise and worship, because, there, because we sing praise songs, and we sing worship songs. Does anybody know the difference? Most times you ask people, what's the difference in praise and worship? Well, it's all the same, it's just, it's just all God's music. No, it's actually a difference, there's a difference between the two. Praise is giving thanks to God for what he has done. Okay? I love him because he first loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? Christ died for our sins. He, 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 cre- he did an act of mercy. He reached out to us and saved us. But the other word is adoration in Spanish, or, or, the, or the word worship. And this is the idea of giving thanks and glory to God for who he is and who is God. Well, the, one of the first characteristics we know about God, Isaiah chapter 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we have God is unmutable. That means He never changes. You can depend upon His Word. And then He's majestic. He's all splendid. And then He's all powerful, omnipotent. And then He's omnipresent. And then He's merciful. So these are all characteristics, his, his attributes, his moral attributes. So there's a difference about saying, well, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. It, it, it's like you, you see your wife and you say, you know, you know I, I love you. I love you. I love you. Just saying that word over again, that's not going to cut it. You know, it might cut it the, fir- the first couple of weeks, you know, but after a while, you know, she's going to want, well, why do you love me? Well, I love you because you're so tender with me. You're so kind. When I, when I come home from work, I see you and you got a big hug for me. You got a big smile. You always cheer me up when I'm down. And you start to lift up uh, your wife in this way. Well, it's the same thing with God. We start praising him for who, not just what he has done, but who he is, his, his personal character. Now, I want to think about the worship wars. You know the first worship war? Cain and Abel. And because in certain churches, people have the idea, well, this is the way we should do things, and other churches, no, this is the way we do things. You know, and there's some churches, you know, you know we don't have music, we don't allow music, and other churches, no, the more music, the better, and, and so on and so on, right? But, but you think about Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother because his brother's worship was accepted. And his was rejected. I, I want to think about what makes good worship. Well, you know, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up the mountain, and he's, he's, he's doing the Ten Commandments. He's, he's getting ready to bring them down. And as he's coming down the mountain, Joshua said, hey, I hear something. It sounds like war. And Moses said, oh, that's not war. He said, he said, Nor is it the sound of being overcome or being beaten in the battle. He said, It is a sound of singing. So, what does that tell me? When, when Joshua heard the singing, it wasn't distinguishable as singing. Have you ever been in a place when it's just like all noise and, and you really can't hear the lyrics and you can't hear the words and, and you're trying to grab? What are they singing? So there's there's a distinction. Why is that important? Because if I say something to to David in Spanish, she's not going to understand me. Okay. If I say something to my wife in Spanish, she's going to respond. She's going to understand. So when we're saying things and people can't hear, nobody is blessed. Exodus chapter 32, when they come down, the people were singing and they were dancing. But was it acceptable worship? It was fervent worship because they're coming down the mountain and everybody could hear it. It was powerful worship. But was it acceptable worship? No, it wasn't. Uh, and, and then when we think about, uh, do you remember when Elijah went up uh, up the mountain and he had that, uh, that uh, competition between between uh, the 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets of the, of the grove, there was 850 prophets. And they had, the, they had the two altars. And then he said, okay, boys, you go first. I'm going to let you go first. And then and, and if you call God down and fire comes down and consumes the altar, then your God, Baal, is the right God. But, it, but if he doesn't, he comes down on this altar, then Jehovah is God. That was the idea behind it. And then they started praying, and they started praying, and nothing was happening. And then uh, Elijah starts mocking them. Well, maybe your God's out, maybe your God is sleeping, maybe he's out for a walk. Call a little bit harder. And then what did they start doing? They started cutting themselves with lances, and then they started jumping up on top of the altar. So we see all the fervency that they could muster. They were trying to pull God down, and they couldn't. So what was the difference in these two examples? Back in Exodus chapter 32 where they come down. Well, first of all, it was the golden calf. And if you're worshipping the golden calf instead of worshipping God, you're all wrong. So the difference, they that shall worship me shall worship me in spirit and in truth. That's the difference. In spirit and And in truth, you can worship in spirit, like fervency, but if you don't have the truth, it's not acceptable to God. So we have to keep in mind that what is truth? Truth is based upon the word of God. And we have to read God's word so that we can understand what God is saying to us. Uh, and another thing I, I want to bring out, there's, there's the word glory that's always asho- associated with God. In the New Testament, the word for glory is this idea of shining forth. Has anybody ever seen a rainbow? We all see rainbows, and we're just in awe. Wow, look at it. Look. Oh, you only see half it. Or, or there's a double rainbow, and we're like fascinated. And then you see that bright sun, and it's shining forth in your eyes, and it's almost blinding you? Well, this is the idea of God's glory. It's the idea of shining forth. But when we come to the Old Testament, you know what the word is? The word is, is I'm not going to tell you the Hebrew word, but that w- what it actually, the root meaning of it, it means weighty. Okay? So if, if I said to you, uh, you know, you don't take me seriously, or you take me lightly, You get the idea. So, you know, they talked about Paul, his words were weighty. How about our worship? Is our worship weighty? Is it filled with information? Is it filled with truth about God? Or is it frivolous? Is it fluffy? You know, in the Old Testament, when the priests were to go into the temple, what did God say? No man was to come in with his hands empty. So on a Sunday morning when we come to the breaking of bread are we coming with our hands full heaping full to give God the honor and the glory and the praise and then we, I want to just finish with this here last section uh, Moses goes up the third time and, and it's quite funny because God says listen get down and tell them don't, don't go near the mountain and Moses says no listen you already told them that. they're not going to come up and he says get down there People just don't listen. So if we're going to worship, we need a place, for instance, the place where the Lord has put his name, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Uh, so in, for, for, for Moses and the children of Israel, who is on the top of the mountain in verse 3, they were alone with God, a higher level than you are maybe right now. Like, like, how is your worship life? Would, would you say that my worship life is actually, is actually up there? Or is it sort of down there? You, does it need room for improvement? And then you need preparation. Verse 10, before they were come into the presence of God, they were to sanctify themselves. They were to wash their clothes. They were to be ready. And then when, when, then when we come, uh, another thing we need is a pen. What do you mean a pen? I didn't remember reading that in the passage. God told Moses certain things. Do you think Moses remembered every instruction that God told him? He had it all up here in his memory? I believe he wrote them down. I know the Ten Commandments. God wrote the Ten Commandments. But there was a lot of detail that had been written uh, that Moses had. And then you need a plan. It just you know, it's just not going to happen by itself. You know, if you're going to worship God, you have to prepare your heart, you have to get into a position where you want to take God seriously from now on. Uh, I, I, want, I want to just uh, close th- thinking, of, thinking about this. Moses goes up the mountain three times. And each time he's up there, he's listening intently to God's word. Listening intently. God is speaking to him. He is answering God. Is that what your relationship is right now? Or you're sort of going through the motions, you know? I'll come to church, you know, I'll go home, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, before you're going to church the next week, you have to run all over the place. Where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Because you haven't been reading it all through the week. I I want to challenge you this morning to get into a relationship with God where it's a daily routine. And I don't mean routine as, as oh, I'm going to do this here like, like my push-ups or whatever. No, I'm talking about getting into a relationship where you want to meet with God. You want to spend time with Him. You want to, sp- to pray with Him. You want to hear Him talking to you and, and, and develop this relationship because we're going to spend eternity with Him. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning as we realize that in your presence is fullness of joy. Father, we think about some of the places that we've gone in the past that promised joy. We think about people going to Disneyland and spending hours and hours in long lineups and people fighting and arguing and saying how much longer and, and the heat and the rain and, and all the things. And, Father, all, all that the world promises is always uh, disappointing. But, Father, when we come into your presence, we're never disappointed. And, Father, just help us to develop a, a spiritual relationship where we can enjoy you more and more each day. We give thanks now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.